If you would, remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Tell me to Romans chapter 1. I'll be reading verses 16 through 23. Romans 1, 16 through 23. I was reminded in Sunday school, as we were walking through, of looking at Christ in the Old Testament, working all the way up to the New Testament, my mind kept jumping back to uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, where all Scripture is God-breathed, that Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's speaking of the Old Testament. All Scripture is God-breathed. It's profitable for teaching, rebuking, and correcting, and the training of righteousness. And so, and this is what we're finding in Romans. We are learning about true righteousness is found in Christ and Christ alone. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse uh, 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is a power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse." For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. May the Lord bless our time together in His Word. Please be seated. So the Apostle Paul had a great love for the church in Rome. We find in the first few verses that Paul says he has never met them, but he has been praying for them. He thanked the Lord for them. He even says he longed to be with them, to see them face to face. The fact that Paul earnestly desired to encourage them as well as to be encouraged himself. He wanted them to grow spiritually and he wanted to grow as an apostle. This love existed in the apostle Paul because of the Lord. The Lord had called him. The Lord had set him apart to carry the gospel to the Gentiles. And this included Rome. That the gospel of God is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And those who believe, they believe, they do so because God's power has called them. It is the power of God that raises the spiritually dead soul to faith in Christ. His power does it all from start to finish through His gospel. We bring nothing to the feast. We bring nothing to the table of salvation. It is all of the Lord. His power does it all from start to finish. You know, this truth that he is speaking of, that he is talking about, he is, he's wanting this church that is strong in faith to have a clear understanding of the good news of Jesus Christ. That God created everything and that it was good, but it did not stay good because mankind sinned. 
And sin brings separation from a holy God. But the beautiful picture here is that when sin entered the world, God did not say, I'm through with you. Adam and Eve, they hid. They knew they were naked. They hid from the Lord. And in hiding from the Lord, they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. And they hid. God's words were, where are you? Why are you hiding from me? Why haven't you come to me? I know what has happened. Why have you not come to me? Adam was cursed. Eve was cursed. Satan was cursed. The ground was cursed. But God made a promise. A promise of the gospel. And that promise is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the Son of God who came to this earth, born of a virgin, lived a perfect and sinless life, freely laid down his life on the cross. He was dead. He fully drank the cup of wrath. He was buried. And in being buried, on the third day he rose from the dead, appearing to many. He proved that he was the Son of God. And he gave the Great Commission. He says, go into all the world. Share the gospel. Go into all the world for my kingdom is for every tribe, tongue, language, and people. Go and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Teach them all that I have commanded you and I am with you even to the end of the age. And in proclaiming this gospel and in sending us as his children to go and proclaim this gospel, he also made this promise. He says, I will return. I will come back and judge the living and the dead. So we have creation, we have sin, we have the promise of a Savior, we have Christ, and we also have judgment. You see, all of us in this room, right now, our soul is either in Adam or our soul is in Christ. You are in Adam or you are in Christ. We did not enter this world in Christ. We entered this world in Adam. We did not enter neutral. We did not enter this world good. We entered this world in Adam. We were conceived in sin, born sinners, separated from a holy God. Our natural state is separation from the Lord. And because of our natural state is wickedness, our sin, wickedness or sin, we are against the Lord. So we enter this world against the Lord. As we discussed in Sunday school, sin is any disobedience or transgression of God's law, any offense against the Lord. It's a distrust and a rejection of the Lord. It is what is known as idolatry. That you and I were all born in Adam. We were born against God Ephesians 2 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So you did not come into this world good, and then you entered into following Satan. No, you came in this world, and Satan was your father. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, 
carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So we were all born children of wrath, doing nothing but walking in sin, like the course of this world. And those who have been born again, this is no longer the case. Because you are in Christ. If you continue Ephesians 2, it says, But God, those are Blake's favorite words. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It says, By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not, this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So by the power of God, through the gospel of God, the sinner has been brought from death to life, having faith in Jesus Christ. So from start to finish, it's all the power of God. Romans 5 verse 9 says, Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. You see, nothing but the blood of Jesus is something that we often sing, but nothing but the blood of Jesus is also true biblically because it's nothing but his blood that saves. His blood and nothing but his blood brings us from death to life. He saves us, and in saving us, we are redeemed. We are exempt from the day of wrath. There is now no more condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15 declares, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So those in Adam, they are spiritually dead. The end result is God's wrath. Those in Christ are spiritually alive. The end result is eternity with Christ, everlasting life in heaven. That's why for us who are Christians who lose someone on this earth, we don't mourn as those who don't have hope, nor do we mourn for those who knew the Lord because we know what their hope was in. We know where they are that we will be with Christ, our faith will be sight, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more sin, no more tears, no more evangelism, no more death, no more temptations, no more suppression of the truth, perfect harmony, perfect living with all the church for all time, living with Christ, pleasing the Lord forever and always. But we are all in Adam in this room, or we are all in Christ. God's gospel is good news, but in the sharing of the good news, we must speak of the bad because truth requires it. Paul understood this. 
He understood the law of God as well as the grace of God. Today we are only looking at one verse. Romans 1 verse 18. And this begins the study of the wrath of God. And I want to encourage you. You may be saying, well, I don't really want a whole sermon on wrath. We're not going to be through talking about the wrath of God until Romans 3 verse 20. It just begins today in this one verse. Like he's talking about the wrath of God. So we're going to be looking at the wrath of God for many weeks. But let me encourage you as God's children, think about the perfect love of our Savior as well. Because when you hear about the wrath, you should smile. As God's children, you should smile because you're thinking about the goodness of what he has done to you. Because he has poured out his grace on you. You are no longer under his wrath. When we speak of God's wrath, we who are his children, we have been born again. We have the righteousness of Christ. We have been cleansed from all of our sin, and the righteousness of the Son has been imputed to us. So we need to study the love of God, yes, but we also need to study God's wrath. The study of God's wrath provides us a greater understanding of his grace and love. God's wrath provides us a clearer understanding of His holiness as well as a greater in-depth look at our own wickedness. Many today in church ignore sin altogether. Even refusing to say the word, they they will not say the word sin. They will use generic terms so they, they don't offend But in the scriptures, we do not find a hesitant or shy spirit in talking about sin. For the good news to be rightly understood, one must understand the bad. For salvation to be understood, sin must be understood. In other words, a soul needs to know it's lost before it can be found. Romans 1 verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness they suppress the truth. R.C. Sproul said, I am sure that the apostle introduces the wrath of God at this point because no one can fully appreciate the good news as good except against the backdrop of our guilt before God. You know, Paul did not wait very long to talk about God's wrath to the church in Rome. In the first 17 verses, we find the gospel of God. We find the obedience of faith. We find grace to you. We find the sake for his name. We find mutual encouragement to the church, being called, being a debtor, eager to preach, not ashamed of the gospel. The righteousness of God is revealed, and now the wrath of God is revealed. John MacArthur said, A person cannot appreciate the wonder of God's grace until he knows about the perfect demands of God's law, and he cannot appreciate the fullness of God's love for him until he knows something about the fierceness of God's anger against his sinful failure to perfectly obey the law. He cannot appreciate God's forgiveness until he knows about the eternal consequences of the sins that require a penalty and need forgiving. Paul Washer paints a picture of an individual holding a diamond. 
and how beautiful that diamond is, looking at that diamond, turning it, seeing all the facets and the light shining on it. You have that same diamond, and you put it behind a beautiful black piece of felt. The diamond is all the more beautiful. The same is true with the gospel. The good news is only good and so much more good when we grasp our wickedness, God's holiness, God's wrath, and the outpouring of His grace on undeserved sinners. You know, being a part of this Bible Belt is extremely difficult. Because so many churches and so many members of churches, they do not know the gospel. They speak of God's love. This should be done. But they fail to speak of God's righteous wrath. They ignore the truth that God cursed those who sinned in the garden. The worldwide flood is often rarely discussed. The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah is somehow overlooked. Both the Old Testament, both and the New Testament, and life today is full of God's wrath. The Bible uses the word wrath 206 times. Anger and fury, 296. Sin, 390. Holy, 595. And love, 503. Arthur W. Pink notes, a study of the concordance will show that there are more references in Scripture to the anger, fury, and wrath of God than there is to His love and tenderness. The Lord is not more loving than He is wrathful. He is both. And He is both all the time, for our Lord does not change. He is thrice holy. To speak of the good news of Jesus Christ is to speak of why Christ came, drinking in full the cup of God's wrath against sinners and their sin. God's gospel is not preached when sin is not taught. To just speak of God's love and to not bring up His wrath and His sin, that's not the good news of Jesus Christ. When we don't speak of the consequences of sin, we fail to paint the good news of Christ. When we talk about God loving us by sending His only Son while ignoring the death of His Son that had to happen, we fail to proclaim the gospel. Many will say, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But to say John 3.16 without John 3.36, is not painting God's gospel in its fullness. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Wrath is God's holy indignation. It's God's anger against sin. God is angry with sin and sinners. And make no mistake, His wrath is an expression of His holy and righteous love. His wrath does not fly off the handle like ours does. It is not an emotional outburst like ours. His wrath is righteous, for He is always consumed with His glory. For a holy and righteous God not to be angry against sin, He would not be good, He would not be holy, He would not be loving. A holy, righteous God is always against sin. To say that God is wrathful 
is to say that he is angry. He has a holy and righteous anger, and that anger is burning with great intensity that something is detestable to him, and what is detestable to him is sin. So sin must be discussed. To say that God is just bothered by sin or annoyed by it, that would be a half-hearted truth, which is no truth at all. God is angry with sin, and he is furious against it. Sin provokes the Lord to rage. This is more than disliking something. God's wrath is not just a future event at his second coming, nor is it something that just occurred in the Old Testament. It is revealed today. His wrath abides on all who are not saved, and it is still being poured out today. God is wrathful today, and yet there is also a day of wrath coming. If you look at Romans 2, verse 5, Paul says, but because of your hard and impotent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So Paul, he understood his past condition, but the law of God and the gospel of God combined with the power of God drew him to Christ. Paul declared that the law of God revealed sin to him. He said it showed him what the Lord hates. It showed him his own failure before the Lord. Romans 7, verse 7. What shall then we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. You see, the law of God is good. It is a schoolmaster. It shows us our failures, our sins against God. It shows us the character of God, our need for payment, our need for the promised Savior of the world, Christ. Christ came and he fulfilled the law, something that had never, ever been done before. He fulfilled the law perfectly. Christ came and he paid for our sin. At the cross, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. So Christ came and drank in full the cup of God's wrath for the children of God. To not speak of why Christ came, that's not to proclaim the gospel. Romans 1 verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. So God's wrath is revealed, it is not hidden. It's revealed, it's not hidden. He is active in the fulfilling of his will. In fact, the wording here is best translated, God's wrath is continually being revealed. You see, when sin entered the world, Satan, Eve, Adam, and the world were all cursed. And these curses are still active. They have not stopped. God's wrath is continually being revealed from heaven. The scriptures are are clear. Wrath is from God. Many people will declare, well, that's not my God. Well, then you don't know the one true living God. Our society, world, and news tells us that this is not true. But we are to turn to the scriptures for the truth. As I declared earlier in 2 Timothy 3, all Scripture is God-breathed. Paul was speaking to the Old Testament. So we must know the Old Testament. We must know who Yahweh was and is. We turn to the Scriptures for the truth that God rules over all and Satan must get permission to act. To say wrath is from Satan, 
That's not true. It's from the Lord. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So his wrath is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So there is not a person who is exempt. And his wrath is universal because the fall of man is universal. All have sinned and all have fallen short, Jew and Greek, the wise and the foolish, the rich and the poor. Colossians 3 tells us, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. You see, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So let me take just a few moments to discuss four things concerning God's wrath and us as his creatures. Number one, God's wrath is justified. God's wrath is justified. It is against our sin. God is not wrathful because it is a feeling. God is not wrathful because he has gotten bored The cause of God's holy and righteous wrath is sin. Think of it this way. When Satan sinned, he was cast out of heaven. When Adam and Eve sinned, they were cast out of the garden. And since Adam is our representative, this separation spread to all men. So you and I were conceived in sin. We were born in sinners, separated from a holy God, with God's wrath abiding on us, God's wrath is justified because everyone is a sinner. Number two, God's wrath is deserved. God's wrath is deserved. Why? You and I were made in his image. We have all creation. We are special. We were made in his image to know him and to reflect Him, to use our mind and our hearts and our life and to love Him. We are to be representatives of Him. We were made to be like God, and when sin entered, sin being against God, God was attacked. His holiness and His righteousness was attacked. So God's wrath is deserved. We are the ones who are ungodly. We are the ones who are unrighteous. We are the ones who are doing what is right in our own eyes, ignoring his good and right commands. We are the ones being offensive before the Lord, bucking the system. We go our own way. We ignore the way of the Lord. All the while, the Lord is faithful. God's wrath is justified and God's wrath is deserved. You know, something that runs rampant in the Western church is easy believism. That is a watered-down version of God, a watered-down version of His grace, a watered-down version of the calling of God as well as the cost of us who are to be His children. Now, I don't believe that this particular church struggles with easy believism. But something we all need to consider this morning is Have we believed too heavily upon the love of God that we have ignored our sin and the killing of it and the upholding of God's truth? 
Have we believed too heavily upon the great love of God that we have ignored our own sin and the killing of it by the Spirit of God to uphold the truth, to be proclaimers of the truth, to be individuals, men and women who have been called out from the rest of the world, called out of his wrath to live a holy and righteous life? Just because we are saved does not mean we do not examine. Just because we have received grace does not mean that we tolerate sin. We do not lay down in a bed of sin. We don't make peace with our sin. By the Spirit of God, we are to kill it. Romans 6 says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? We who are saved are saints, and yes, we are struggling saints, but we are never to make peace with our sin as against God. We are to kill it. That is why John Owen declared, and is remembered in history from generation to generation, be killing sin or sin be killing you. In Romans 8, we find, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Christ did not save us so that we would live lives that are defeated, that we are in sin, swallowing in it, consuming in it, swimming in it, that he lived our life and he purchased us by his blood so that we would live for him. The sin of our lives can only be put to death by the Spirit of God. The sinful deeds of our body can only be slain by the Spirit of God. We are not debtors to the flesh. We are under obligation to fulfill our duty of glorifying the Lord in all things, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do. Our life is to be about Christ. So God's wrath is justified and God's wrath is deserved. Thirdly, God's wrath is indirect or direct. God's wrath is indirect and direct. God's wrath is indirect in that there are natural consequences of violating his moral law. That's why we have the law. Sin has consequences in God's economy, in this world. Lying is an example of his indirect wrath. Lying is prohibited by God. Now, you may or may not be punished right now for your lies, but God sees and God knows, and you will give an account before him one day. Now, God's wrath is also direct, meaning he does intervene in this life, and he will intervene when he wishes to do something that is his perfect will. The flood is a great example of that. The Tower of Babel. Sodom and Gomorrah. God's wrath is justified, God's wrath is deserved, and God's wrath is indirect and direct. And fourthly, one for us to truly think about and to ponder and ask questions is, we are under God's wrath or we are in Christ under the umbrella of His grace. We are under God's wrath or we are in Christ under the umbrella of grace. You are unrighteous, dead in your sin, or you have been declared righteous by the work and the blood of Christ on the cross. Every soul here is under God's wrath, or you are under grace. If you are under grace, 
Do not neglect the truth, nor get upset by it, that your Father disciplines you and prunes you because he loves you. Now, there is no condemnation for us, but do not sin and provoke the Lord's anger. If you are under wrath, go to Christ. Turn from your sin. Lay it down. Trust Him. Find rest for your weary soul in Christ and what He has accomplished. Romans 1, verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So God's wrath is against ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Now, in looking at these two things, why in the world is Paul saying ungodliness and unrighteousness? So ungodliness, this is a lack of reverence and devotion to the Lord. It's neglect, it's rebellion. Unrighteousness, this is injustice with others whom the Lord has made in His image. These two words, ungodliness and unrighteousness, point to the failure of men to keep the Ten Commandments. The failure of loving God. The failure of loving neighbor. The failure of keeping the law. In Matthew 22, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So ungodliness, which is rebellion against the Lord, unrighteousness, injustice with whom he created as an image, the failure of loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself, this is why we have the wrath of God. The failure of loving him. The failure of loving our neighbor. Unrighteousness is a result of being ungodly, and unrighteous souls suppress the truth because they are wicked. That's what 118 says. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteous men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Who are we as individuals who have been created in God's image? Who are we to stand before a holy and righteous and good God and suppress what He has declared to be true? You see, you love the truth or you suppress the truth. You are the Lord's or you are not the Lord's. There is no neutrality with the Lord. So much of our life, so much of what is told us, so much of what is taught and learned by us is that there is a gray area. No, there's not. You belong to the Lord or you don't belong to the Lord. You live for Him or you suppress His truth. To suppress the truth is to rebel against the Lord. And when you suppress the truth of God, you will suppress the truth with others. So you won't love God and you won't love your neighbor. To suppress the truth is to do as Paul declared later on in Romans 1 verse 25. It is the exchanging of the truth of God for a lie. So you not only declare, God, what you have declared is not true at all, but guess what? I believe a lie. Man has created it. I love it. You suppress the truth by elevating the creature rather than the creator. 
This is what individuals do, is the act of ignoring the Creator while elevating the creature. This is why we have so much today in our lives about self. It's all about us. It's all about what we think is true. It's all about what is right in my own eyes. That's not loving. You and I do not have the right to define love. We have the right to believe what God has declared love to be. The suppressing of truth is the forcing against what God wants known, and this provokes our holy, righteous God to anger. That God's gospel reveals God's righteousness, but we don't end here because God's wrath is also revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So we have the revealing of God's righteousness, but also the revealing of God's wrath. You see, so if we just talk about God's love and we don't talk about why he provided a way for salvation, if we don't talk about how wicked we are, that we are sinners in desperate need of salvation, if we don't talk about the promise that he gave to say, I will provide for you a sacrifice, I will provide for you a Messiah, the Messiah is Christ. If we don't mention why he came, if we don't mention that he was crucified, if we don't mention the cup that he drank in full, we're not proclaiming the gospel. You see, the greatest news in all the world includes the greatest display of God's wrath being poured out on the Son of God on the cross. And yet we find the words, it pleased Yahweh to crush His Son. Isaiah 53, yet it was the will of Yahweh to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of Yahweh shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many, not all, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. When you talk about a holy Lord who loves us and sent his only begotten son to die on a cross for us, why did he have to die? What did he do? He drank the cup of the wrath of God. So let us be faithful to the Lord by being faithful to his holy word. Speak of the great love that God has in saving sinners. Speak of the good news of Jesus Christ, but speak of sin and His righteous wrath as well. Talk of the good news. Speak of Christ coming. Speak of Christ dying. Speak of Christ rising from the dead, but speak of the blood that had to be shed. Share the good news of Christ as well as the bad. Be faithful in keeping God's gospel. And if you are here this morning, if you are under God's wrath, call on Christ for salvation. Christ is needed in your life, for without Christ, you are guilty, you are in your sin, and you are condemned. In fact, the wrath of God abides upon you right now. And you're like, well, that's not very loving. Yes, it is. If I wasn't loving, I would not tell you where you spiritually are right now. You must have Christ, and Christ must be your Savior, otherwise you are condemned. Call on Christ, for you are guilty now, 
And you never know when the day of wrath is going to arrive. It is coming. If you are under grace, continue to confess your sins. That's what Scripture says. It's not a one-time confession. It's a continuation of are you still confessing? Are you still believing? Are you still trusting in Christ for your Savior? And in your confession of your sins, do not provoke the Lord's anger. Don't give, come to the point to where you are praying before the Lord and you're saying, Lord, please forgive me for all these sins. Boom, 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 boom. And then you immediately turn around and do it all over again. That is not true confession. That's coming before the Lord saying, Lord, I'm so thankful that you have forgiven me, but I'm going to do it again. Do not suppress the truth. Uphold the truth. By the life that you live, by the words that you use, by your character, by your conduct, because he who called you is holy, and he has called you to be holy in this life. So live by faith in the Son of God. Father, we thank you for your holy word. How good it is. How good it is to have it. To have it in our language, to study it as your children. To hear about the great love that you have, that you found it fitting to save sinners. To hear over and over and over again that we are not worthy of salvation, but you are worthy of us living for you. Father, that you are love, but you are also wrath. You are righteous. You are patient to anger, but you are also just. That you are a God that does not change. Year after year, you allow us to have your holy word. Year after year, you have sealed us with your spirit. Year after year, you, Lord, continue to sanctify us and to grow us to bless us in so many ways, ways in which we've, we fail, we fail to come before you and say thank you. Thank you for your daily provisions. Father, as your son taught us to pray, our Father in heart and heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Lord, would that be a prayer of our heart for our own life? that your will is done in our life, that we would confess our sin, that you would have other brothers and sisters in Christ encouraging us and spurring us on, holding us accountable, Lord, that by your Spirit we would put to death the deeds of the body and we would truly live. That we would stop giving excuse after excuse, and we would stop saying, Lord, we want a balanced time, when really all that means is when I want something that's of balance, I want to have many gods. Father, may you be the one true God that we proclaim with our lips, but also the one true God that we strive to live for in this life, that our heart and mind is set on your Son. that we may not cling to a false gospel, that we may not allow 
the sins in this world to cling closely to us. But our mind will be transformed by thinking upon Christ, our wonderful and beautiful Savior, our Christ who is to come back for us, our Christ whom we get to spend all of eternity with. Thank you for forgiveness that is found in him. For I may be quick to speak of God's love, but also his wrath. Father, I'm so thankful that Jesus fully drank the cup of wrath and its completeness, and his sacrifice has been paid fully. It's in no other name but the name of Jesus Christ we pray and we ask all these things. Amen.